podcast. The podcast is here to discuss all things male factor infertility from a black male's perspective. The good, the bad, the happy and sad journey. I'm Paul and this is my story. Hey guys, welcome to episode 7 of the Shooting Blanks podcast. This is your host Paul. It's been almost two months since we've last spoke, or I guess since I've last spoken to you guys. This episode's likely going to be just me kind of giving everyone an update regarding what's going on with our journey, uh, my infertility, and everything kind of in between. I think the last time we spoke, I spoke about patience and the virtue of patience and how much of this journey is a waiting game and how much waiting there just actually is between everything. And as many of you guys know, we went through IUI, not IVF. So our waiting per se was a lot less than others in comparison. Update regarding anything, Alyssa still thankfully is pregnant. Um, She is currently 22 weeks in one day. So we are a little bit over the halfway mark. We are going to hopefully have a very smooth pregnancy from here on out. She hasn't had a complicated pregnancy, thankfully. And the baby and her are doing and growing very well, according to our OBGYN. And all is well. That's just a quick little update regarding on what's going on with Alyssa and myself and our baby girl. This episode, though, I kind of wanted to talk about second guessing. Throughout this entire journey, throughout this entire process from back in 2018 to even as recent as probably last month, to be true, to be honest, um, there's been some second guessing um, on my part, mainly. I'm not sure about Alyssa's part. I haven't really asked her about that much, but on my part of are we doing the right thing? There's um various different things that I've second guessed regarding this entire process. Like I said, back when we first got this diagnosis and you start second guessing and, and, and trying to figure out why me, why me, why me? And why did this happen to me? What could I have done different? Things like that. All the way up to, you know, last year where I had the micro tessie and I still had no sperm even after making lifestyle changes, doing the right things and wondering, was it even worth it? You know, spending the money. Why not just go straight to donor sperm or why not just adopt or why not go an alternate route of some sort regarding anything and everything. Right. I just want people to understand that just like many of you, I'm pretty sure we all have second guesses and we have bouts of doubt regarding many of the decisions that we may have made or continue to make throughout our lives. And this is no different with this journey, especially, especially something like this, because we are choosing to go down this route. There's um kind of a little bit of a, you have to make a decision like you kind of, I don't want to say control, but you make a decision and you are deciding which route you're going to take on this journey and that can be very scary that can be very eye-opening that can be very hard for many this was probably one of the hardest decisions we've had to make in our 13 years together and almost five years married 
you know, going down this road, you're going to get those second guessing. I just kind of wanted to talk about that and where the second guessing came from. Honestly, the second guessing, the really big second guessing on my part, at least, was twofold. The first part was me not really going any alternate methods outside of what we've done. So my clinic was very open and honest with me when we went through all of my blood work, all of my hormones, all of my panels, my history, everything and then some, you know. They were very open and honest when we got in the beginning and they told us, you know, hey, it's like a 50-50 shot if you do do the M-Tessie just to let you know. I didn't ever went and got a second opinion. You know, obviously I did multiple semen analysis. Um, I'm like kind of perfect at those right now, but I did uh, multiple semen analysis and things like that. But I've never went to another clinic. I've never went and followed up with another specialist. Um, my doctor, um, Dr. Coward, um, is very good, I think, and I'm very glad to have had him. I'm a straight shooter and I can enjoy and respect someone who's also a straight shooter, even tactfully, but just kind of telling me how it is and not trying to sugarcoat or loop around or what's going on and just kind of being straight up with me from day one. He has been. So that's probably why I feel really, really comfortable with uh, my doctor regarding this. I lost the weight. Then I went and had the MTSE and he came back and said, yeah, they didn't find any sperm. I've had many people after hearing my story like, oh, you didn't go get a second opinion. Or some people, you know, had some very anecdotal evidence about this routine or, you know, this natural supplement or acupuncture or going to see this doctor and maybe doing this or, you know, trying Clomid to, you know, kind of help balance out and boost, you know, boost levels to get to possibly show that you may are creating um, sperm and whatnot. I didn't know that as we went through the process of everything being on social media and just talking to various different people in this community and hearing about their stories and how some of them did have a successful second opinion per se, where, you know, they talked to a different doctor or talked or went down a different path and somehow some way there something was either missed or there was a different, there was a different option for them and was able to, get some answers and undoubtedly actually find some sperm. That's one of the things that I've like, I guess you can say I've second guessed and did I make the right decision with that by not pursuing alternate options and going down alternate paths and trying alternate methods and different things like that. Every now and again, that pops up regarding this, um, especially um, going through this pregnancy with Alyssa and remembering like yes that is going to be my child and it's just you know things like that where I kind of get in my head and kind of just really I don't want to say beat myself up over it but just really put doubt in myself or that's the insecurity and just the I guess you can say guilt gene or guilt personality trait that's sitting there saying you could have tried this, you could have tried that. Ultimately, I like snap myself out of it, understanding that the chances are very, very slim that they missed anything regarding me being able to actually produce and have sperm. As many of you know, I'm an engineer by day. Um, math and science are some of my biggest things. So I know how statistics work. 
I understand uh, statistical probability. I understand how things can or may not happen or realistically may or may not happen. And that's kind of what gets me back to understanding that chances are very, very slim. It's it's a it's a low probability that they miss anything. And logically, they were right probably the first time. And logically, I don't have any sperm. Um, and that's what I kind of use to get through and understanding that and get through what's going on, essentially. Stop second guessing at that point in time or to bring me back to quote unquote reality. Um, I don't want to say this isn't reality because, I mean, again, we're humans. These doubts of uncertainty and bouts of doubt and second guessing are probably very normal psychologist or anything like that. But I'm pretty sure most people would sec- second guesses a lot of things. And I don't want to call it regret or anything of that nature, but just what could have or should have or what if this happened or what if that happened? It's just one of those things where tough habit to break. And I know this is going to come up over and over and over throughout this entire journey, even once the baby's here, as we're raising her throughout her life right now. And that's also another thing that I'm second guessing, not raising her or anything like that, but how we went with choosing a donor. We talked about this extensively, Alyssa and I, when we went through our different counseling sessions, our different um, doctor appointments and individual counseling sessions and meeting with the social worker um, that our clinic requires us to meet with in order to accept donor sperm and things like that. And it's making sure that we don't treat this as a taboo topic, obviously, right? So um, many people know, I'm sure, that um, donor sperm or donor eggs or whatever, many people, at least in the past, they've quote unquote hit it from their child. They were, weren't their biological parent and somehow, some way, the child would find out and then there would be some resentment. There would be a lot of anger, a lot of trust issues, rightfully so, and things like that. So the right now, the big push is for a few things. A, obviously, telling them as early as possible, um, not straight up, just, hey, you're biologically not mine or anything. But, you know, as they grow, there's going to be different stages in how you tell things. But, you know, you can make it a children's book. And then as they get older, you know, start, you know, just not making it a taboo topic or something that they've always known. And also understanding that they're going to have questions and they're going to look to you for answers. And there's going to be hard times. There's going to be rough patches regarding that. And then also pushing for the open ID regarding donors. So, Many um, donor-conceived parent, uh, donor-conceived children, and donor-recipient parents at this time are also pushing for there to be legislation here in the United States where the child at 18 can have access to basically the medical history, who the person is that donated, and it's half of them essentially, and just some, you know ability to get information about that parent. I'm 100% all for that. It took 
some time for me to understand the why behind all of this legislation and what's, you know, what was the big deal and whatnot. But I am 100% on board because I do think it's important that they a especially have access to their half of their medical history. I mean, essentially, you they, it needs to be very, it needs to be information available to them about their genetic medical history, like family history, essentially, you know, some, some things are genetically passed down and can really truly affect a person as they grow up, whether it's an autoimmune disease or even something even more problematic like cancer, people's family, it can be, that trait can be passed down and things like that. So I'm a hundred percent on board with that. Um, and then they talk about getting the information about reaching, being able to reach out to the donor, I guess, kind of pop up and say, hey, I'm your child, which, again, I have nothing against. We actually wanted to do open donor. Um, and when I say open donor, like essentially known donor, as in like not anonymous, not open as if we knew the person or anything like that. But just so just on the fact of that they can have the information and reach out to them as they get older and things like that. And unfortunately we weren't able to go down that route because of the amount of donors that we had to select from. As many of you know, I'm black and that was one of our big criteria was having a black sperm donor. The selections were very limited to begin with. And then some of the important things that were important to Alyssa and I regarding what we wanted our donor to either look like or be or just certain things that we could narrow it down when choosing a donor made the pickings even slimmer. And it winded up coming down to two or three, which all were anonymous donors at that point in which they basically never wanted to be contacted regarding their donation. And I'm assuming in 2022, many of the donors that have had successful pregnancies and successful children from their sperm donation probably have been contacted at some point just because 2022, all the technology, all the DNA advancements, 23andMe, you know, genealogy, ancestry.com and all of those types of things are now out there. People's DNAs are out there. So it's very kind of easier to you know, plug information in and kind of understand like, all right, well, this is, this is who I'm related to or something like that. That was also another big reason as to why I'm totally for it being open just because it's kind of like inevitable that it's going to be found out. And as many of the research, as men, as much as the research shows, the earlier that um, someone gets out there and talks about it to their um, donor-conceived child, the easier it is as they grow up. That's where my second guessing came from, um, was did we do the right thing in having such criteria to choose and go with an anonymous donor over an, over an open donor? It's something I've battled with um, through these months and everything because, as I've stated before, I know that I'm going to love this girl with all my heart regardless, even though she's not biologically mine. So then why is her also being black such a big thing 
to me is what I second guess. And it's just one of those things that I can't quite explain fully, but it's just you want at least some type of, I guess, resemblance to her. I mean, whether or not she was white, full white or Asian and white, like I'm still going to love her. Like this is going to be my daughter. I'm still going to love her regardless. I'm not going to love her less or more because she's black or part black or not part black. It's just, it's just something that gives us that another commonality and a life that we're going to have so much differences. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not naive to it that she's going to be growing up in a time period completely different than what I grew up in. She's going to have access and scrutiny about things that I completely didn't have access to or the scrutiny about in general. So it's just going to be a totally different world regarding how and and the world that she grows up in comparison to the world that I grew up. And the less differences we can have, I think, are better. So that was something that I grappled with. And again, talking with my therapist and just understanding that, you know, these thoughts are probably very normal, especially for those going down the journey that I'm partaking in right now is is normal. And to not beat myself up about it and understand that it's okay to have these, just not to let these thoughts completely overwhelm and over take overtake my life regarding it. And one of the things that we uh me and my therapist talked about was about was how the only things that we kind of un, we doubt are usually the unknowns and what our fears are. Usually you second guess those things that you're afraid of and that and usually you're afraid of things that you just don't know. I'm very I don't want to say controlling, but I'm very much a person that needs to necessarily understand and know what's going on. I need the why behind things. I need to understand. I need to know. I also, I'm very solution oriented. So I need to know the why's understanding the hows and having a solution per se, you know, an end goal or not a necessarily a tangible thing, but just something that there's an answer to it. That's probably why a lot of this was one of those things of me second guessing because it wasn't it wasn't anything that I could come up with a solution for or I can control the outcome for. It kind of just was we leave it where 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 it's at and we get it to where to where where it finished and it's one of those things that really makes you think and ponder really try to understand even more because of how unknown it is. At least it does for me. So I just wanted to touch on that and discuss things regarding second guessing and letting you guys know that second guessing is okay. And those bouts of doubt are normal. They're expected. Um, I'm not, and I'm not like a expertise expert in this or this isn't like my specialty or anything like that so mainly to let you guys know that this probably what i'm what you're experiencing or probably what you're going through you're not alone and also don't think that it's only it's a you thing i'm pretty sure many of us um throughout the community are going through the same things and thinking some of the same thoughts and 
trying to get some of the same answers. So I just wanted to leave you guys with that. I'm going to try um, a different schedule with these things. I was starting out once a week, basically every Wednesday. I'm still going to release them for Wednesdays, but I think I'm going to go to monthly episodes just because there's not right now a lot to talk about regarding this journey, at least in my perspective, until I get a little bit more integrated in everything because of our journey and how fortunate we were and how our journey went. We literally only took two procedures for Alyssa to finally get pregnant. So it wasn't as if there was a long drawn out process for us. So we're going to go, I'm going to go monthly episodes and then I'll probably throw in bonus episodes here and there while I'm with any like updates or if something comes up and throw it in there. So I do want to thank you all for being supporters, um, being active with me. The email, the reviews, the comments on the Instagram are very appreciated. So I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart until next time. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You can hit the subscribe button. Leave me a review on wherever you get your podcast at Apple, Spotify or Stitcher. I look forward to sharing this journey with you all. You can find me at shootingblankspodcast.com, on Twitter at underscore TSB podcast, or email me at paul at shootingblankspodcast.com.